0: Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Nelson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. What's up?
1: Just got COVID, you know, no big deal. We're, we're, we're hanging in though. We're fine. Everything's I, fine.
0: I was hoping we were going to, for the both of us, be able to avoid COVID edition podcasts, but here we are.
1: <sighs> yeah, such is the way of the world now, but what can you do?
0: Well, you may be down in the dumps, Kevin, but fear not, someone is in a worse position than you, and that is the Phoenix Suns. They have lost 11 of their last 15 games, which sounds bad, but we're going to illustrate it here in a minute. So if you don't want to... If you are um, a, a very positive Suns fan and you don't want to hear the the down in the dumps version and just kind of really drawing out what is wrong with this team right now and what has been going wrong, uh, we'll see you next week. N- nothing wrong with that. We are going to explore who exactly we think is the most to blame right now for where the team is at, because this is kind of a, um, a summit edition, maybe Kevin, a state of the suns sort of, uh, edition of the podcast, because there is, they have serious problems going on right now. And to, so uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. If if you, if you're not up for that, and want to get back to the typical episode, which may not be that rosy for the next month and is kind of why we're doing this uh, episode right now. As it is. And if you're kind of not really with me for whatever reason, you think, like, yeah, sure, it's bad, but they've had a lot of injuries and stuff. And, you know, th- things happen and they've had some unlucky bounces here or there, or however you want to frame it. I'm not really sure how optimistic you can get in that light. But th- these 11 losses of their last 15 dating back to the loss at Dallas on December 5th, they lose to Dallas, Kevin. They were down 26 at halftime they lose to the celtics they give up that horrible 12 nothing run that we talked about on the podcast that i illustrated in my recap and just painted out every terrible play that went wrong they were down 27 at halftime of that game they were it was up to a 45 point deficit at one point they show fight against new orleans a bit more in the next game it's still a lot of like the same problems we've been seeing in terms of their quality of play but they did show some fight in that game and then they lose again to new orleans in overtime that was probably the best performance that they've had in the last month and a half. That did not include Devin Booker solo carrying them. We'll get to that in a bit. They lose to the Rockets, who they were down 19 at halftime to. They scored 35 points in the first half to the Rockets, who are one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They beat the Clippers, who didn't play anyone. They beat New Orleans because Devin Booker had 58 points and carried the team on his back. They beat the Lakers, who didn't really play anyone. Then they lose to the Wizards in a game where they gave up a 17-2 run in 3 minutes and 48 seconds of crutch time after leading by 10, with 5.20 to go. They lose to the Grizzlies by 25 after being down 19 after one quarter and down by as many as 34 in the second half. Then they uh, have one of their best efforts again in the last six, eight weeks, which was an overtime loss to Denver. Den Booker goes out of that game four minutes in. they nearly steal that one. And then we do see some fight and we see some resolve from this team. We, we figured we would see it at some point and they catch Memphis slipping. They beat them 125-108 two days after Christmas. But then Kevin... We get our third iteration in this in this stretch of just a horrible run of three losses. We get a Wizards game where they gave up thirty-six, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, and thirty-four points to a team without Bradley Beal. That included an eighteen to four run for the Wizards over three thirty-five that made it go from a one point game to a fifteen point game. They turned the ball over twenty-seven times to a Raptors team that had lost eight of their last ten, was reeling, searching for their own identity. I I said on the airs if on the airwaves that if the Suns were like a DEFCON 3, the Toronto was at about a DEFCON 2 ready to upgrade to a DEFCON 1 with their current blow-it-up situation and what they're kind of looking at, and they lost to that team by turning it over 27 times. And then the Knicks lost on Monday, yesterday. They were down 32 midway through the second quarter to a team that I believe had just won a game to snap a six-game losing streak, a five-game losing streak. So that is my way of saying, yes, they've lost 11 of 15, but eight of these losses have just been horrible they they've been terrible and to say that the team is in a bad position right now is is just not fair enough to the current situation and kind of contextualizing it the way that I like to in 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 this audio medium that we, that we are on kevin zimmerman so with all of that being said that was not my way of of sticking the knife in further to suns fans and where the team is at it, it is a way of just saying Yes, they have lost 11-15. to Yes, they are going through injuries. Yes, they don't have Devin Booker. Yes, it's going to get worse. But I don't think that you can really absorb how much fight this team doesn't have right now unless you really paint out the last month uh, like I did. Uh, They are... are, uh, Would you agree with me, Kevin? They're a very bad basketball team. Would you let me go that far? I think they're just a very bad basketball team right now.
1: They're at least a bad team. I don't know about very. I mean... I think there is substance to, okay, this team without Devin Booker can win half its games or could win half its games if it's playing well, but it's not. Um, I think this team has a decent amount of talent, not the best talent. Probably, I don't know if it's top 10 or whatever in the league, but it's decent. Um, But I think the big part that you painted in all that was, where they are, how many games there are, and it's almost all of them where it's an effort issue to our eyes, right? And there's, like, so many complexities when we look at Game 7 loss last year. Like, oh, I, was it sickness? Was it injury? Was it people not getting along? I'm sure it's all of that when you paint it over this prolonged period it's a problem. And it's not like the start of the new Orleans Pelicans season last year where they're doing terribly. And then they had health and a trade and they're in the first year with the new coaching staff. Like this team has soured on whatever situations it's in. And we will get into that in a second about blame and all that stuff. But it's not like, I, I find it hard to argue that, yes, this is bad, but this team has the juice. No matter how good of a coach Monty Williams is, no matter how good Devin Booker is and was before his injury, that this team can just, like, find a way out of this rut because it just looks too, I don't know if you call it toxic or too far along. It's been there. It's growing. It's not getting better. Um, it, It just looks like they need a reset of some sort, and that's kind of what you wrote in your last kind of a recap. And then the Knicks game, which uh, like you kind of said in that story, like d- does it deserve a recap when you watch that game?
0: No, we shouldn't even talk about that game. It's not even worth anyone's time really and to, I, I'm sure people already were typing up to me before I even got to sort of c- characterize what I mean by very bad basketball team. My opinion could change on that in a week or two. Like if they start to show some bite again, but but we have seen now for a month straight, that this team is just not capable of showing a fight on on a night-to-night basis. And the difference between a fight and being competitive, it is something that I think you can not argue, but just kind of discuss and like what the difference is between showing a fight and being competitive. But it, it goes beyond the fact that they are being competitive in a lot of these games that I'm mentioning. Like the Toronto game was close. The Wizards loss was one where they had a huge comeback before that awful crunch time meltdown. And and the New Orleans game, uh, the first loss in New Orleans, the one that ended with the Zion dunk, that was the game where they did show some fight. But they were just so many, and they were in the game, and they were competitive. But I think that the consistent connectivity of this game and just, I don't want to say their vibe, Kevin, but they're just so off in so many ways that I probably said on this podcast, I'm not sure if I did or not, but I would have told you a week or two ago, I don't think there's much of a difference between doing a trade now and doing a trade four weeks from now. But after seeing this latest three-game run of just bad losses, again, this is the lightest part of this schedule. They've got Cleveland, Miami, Cleveland, Golden State, Denver, Minnesota, Memphis, Brooklyn coming up. Like This Washington, Toronto, New York stretch was the lightest part of this gauntlet, and they lost the three games in three really bad ways and i i just don't think i can characterize the team as anything else right now until seeing some fight from them on a consistent basis and until we do we i don't know what else to expect again it's it's a month worth of games it's eight of those 11 losses specifically and if they had some if some of these wins were a lot more encouraging i would go with that kevin but again the clippers sat pretty much everyone in that game the lakers did the same thing the New Orleans win was Devin Booker carrying them. Like it wasn't. We aren't exaggerating. I mean, he had bad that. moments.
1: Yeah, he yeah. had bad moments,
0: and that had yeah, that had reasons to be concerned for sure. And and that looked like it was headed towards one of those losses. And then he just went nuclear. The Memphis game was the one was the one game where we really saw it. And again, this is going over a month. They 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 killed the, the Spurs, and then of course they had before that a six game winning streak where they were fifteen and six. And injuries are to blame for this, for sure. I think before we get into short and long-term discussions here of what's going on, and we're going to start with the short-term first before looking at sort of long-term implications. Injuries are playing a significant factor in this, but I think what has been revealed now, Kevin, is that the foundation for them, both with a team-building perspective and a vibe and team perspective, was a lot more flimsy than we thought because we remember this team without Devin Booker last year and two years ago when he had to sit here and there. They were not this bad, and they were able to at least tread water, and it does not look like they're going to be able to tread water right now at all. But here's a crazy thing, Kevin. You know the November 8th date I've been bringing up a lot, right? When when I like pinpoint exactly when their defense fell off a cliff 10 games in. mm mm-hmm. They are now 25th in defensive rating since then. That number keeps going down ever since I bring it up every time on the podcast. Here's here's the crazy part about this. People are going to see that number and they're going to be like, okay, well, injuries and like this guy being out and this guy being in, like it changes things. Chris Paul has played 14 games over that stretch. Devin Booker has played 19. And then Torrey, Craig, DeAndre, and Mikel Bridges have mostly played all of those games. The defensive rating for those players, and I know that defensive rating is not an individual statistic. That's not how I'm using it here. I'm using it to portray that no matter who was in or who was out, their defensive rating was still trash. Torrey Craig's, over again, since November 8th, is 120.3. That would be the worst defensive rating in the league outside of San Antonio. Chris Pauls, again, he's played 14 games, 11 less than Torrey Craig. 119.8, 119.8, Devin Booker, 119.1, DeAndre Ayton, 119.0, Mikel Bridges, 116.7. Those are the five worst defensive ratings on the team. Again, it's not an individual statistic, but what I'm painting is here is that the the reserves have been able to show a much more consistent fight. Now, a, a lot of that fight for some of those reserves, to be fair, is in garbage time when the game has been done, and a lot, there's been so much yeah. garbage time in the last month. But they are just getting destroyed. And and here's here's a more concerning number, Kevin, is that looking at those offensive and defensive ratings again over the stretch, Devin Booker's offensive rating is 120.5 for that stretch, which is what we've seen over the last five years, is that his offensive rating and the, the drop-off between when he comes on and off the floor. Um, Chris Paul's is 109.6, and Chris played a good amount of those games, not a good amount, but a couple at least, with Devin Booker. And his offense the offense with him on the court has has been bad again a one hundred nine point six offensive rating you're talking about either the second or third worst in the league so right now when when Chris Paul plays for them but again the, the offensive ratings for Tory Craig one eleven DeAndre one fourteen Mikel one sixteen so if you take Chris's offensive rating in that stretch it's it's you're getting when Chris is on the floor right now in the last two months you are getting the third worst offense in the league and you're getting the second worst defense in the league. And and that to me totally. And and I'm not starting with Chris specifically. I'm just saying that totally encapsulates from an injury perspective and all this kind of stuff that even when guys have been in, even when guys have been out, unless you believe that cam Johnson is solely the reason from an injury perspective, why these things are happening. But I, I do not believe that to be the case. And I think that defensively, we are just seeing how flimsy this foundation is if they can't defend at a high level, and they are defending, like, one of the worst teams in the league right now.
1: And this team's identity was always based around that, right? Like, they had to be a top-five defense, top-ten even, and their offense just works so much better when that defense is good. And I I don't know, man. It's It's crazy to watch. We can get into it in a little bit how, like, Josh Okogi, in theory, was supposed to make them okay. We can throw out this unit and maybe we give up the three point, you know, stretch four spacing isn't good on offense, but we can put him next to Mikel and DA and they can just play tough basketball and grind against teams, right? Or you look at it on the other end where Dwayne Washington Jr., like, is again the most confident shooter out there. But you're not seeing these lineups where it's like, oh, we're just going to shoot the crap out of it and maybe our defense won't be so good, but we need some juice where this is our offensive lineup or this is our defensive lineup. There's just no rhythm. And again, it's not necessarily Monty Williams' fault because the injuries have been on and off, different positions, different guys. And even when you get into the role players who aren't, you know, game plan changers, it, it... throws things off that there's no consistency, but there's just no ability to have either identity, whether it's offense or defense as a team. And so they're just kind of spinning their wheels in all aspects right now. And I don't know. It's the defense part to me is focus again. And I pointed to it, I think last podcast, the Washington game where the fan was yelling at him. The reserves are coming in. Chris Paul got a technical in between uh, two free throws from Hachimura and they don't box out. And it's like, well, the ref might have, I think the ref did yell out too, like there were two left on the third free throw, but they weren't paying attention. Um, Chris Paul's eight second violation um, was that, I don't remember which game that was, but he got an eight second violation. Like that, that can't happen. Like that's it's Toronto, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. And it came after like there was a deflection so sometime it ran off and then he started walking it up but just brain dead moments like that are not characteristic of this team in the past 2 years and they're all over the place right now yeah and the
0: the defense is where i wanted to start because this to me um portrays exactly what's going on here from a from a blame point of view I think from what I can tell from my mentions, Dwayne Washington Jr. is the only guy that shouldn't get traded or fired and Devin Booker, I think. <laughs> and then everyone else should should get traded or or fired. Josh Akogi, Damian Lee, I think are, have been safe so far, but everyone else should just not play or get fired, yeah. uh, basically. I am not sure where I can't put a finger, and usually I'm pretty good about this with the way I use Twitter, pretty pretty good at putting a finger on where at least my base of Suns fans uh, that follow me and and I follow are at in terms of who's in the wrong here. It seems like everyone, it seems like James Jones is the guy at the top, but I think the interesting question there, Kevin, is how much of w- the way their roster is constructed factors into the way that they're playing right now, specifically from an effort fight defensive standpoint, and that is where I believe Monty Williams and the players deserve a whole lot of blame as well and deserve a whole lot of criticism for it because Monty is the first person to say after they have just one of these rare games the last two years that it's on him to get them up to play. And I do believe it's always it's always on the coach more than anyone else. Now, if the players just decide to stop playing for the coach, that's a whole nother discussion and where this gets really tricky in terms of assigning blame. But to have this level of basketball for the last month, considering, again, this was a team thought of to be in the title picture. Now they weren't a title favorite or anything like that, like they were last year, but they were in the discussion. Certainly a team that was picked to win above 50 games by mostly everyone. And for them to be in that state for the last month, it goes through from just the effort fight standpoint. It goes with a lot of that. And now to me, Kevin, the way that they have not been able to seemingly adjust in a more rapid fashion from, from decision-making the front office sure, the trades or whatever, but we are at the point now where Dwayne Washington jr. Should be getting more playing time. And if that comes in a way where Chris Paul stays on the bench for a couple more minutes, or he doesn't finish games like he did in the first game of the season, I think that we're there. I think that we've seen enough. I think a part of me wants to argue that you need Chris Paul to win a championship but you've been playing like this for a month and you saw it in the Knicks game uh Kevin like he just didn't close out on Emmanuel quickly and just lost him in the corner twice uh in in that first half he he's part of these defensive issues too and i think you were a lot more on it at the start of the season than i was but now i'm there with you where he just like he hasn't been good on defense this year he hasn't even been he hasn't even been good and we're talking about maybe the best defensive point guard of all time certainly when you go by the amount of all defense accolades that he has, but getting Dwayne Washington jr. Some more run Kevin in the last four games, when Devin Booker hasn't played the last four, they've played their shots per game. Deandre Ayton's at 14.3 and then Dwayne Washington jr. is Second on the team in shots per game with 13. Uh, Chris Paul's at 11.8. McKell's at 10.8. Shamit in that one game took nine shots. Um, that is going to balance itself out a lot more here. When Shamit and Payne start to come back, they just came back from injury last game. But that, to me, is crazy, and 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 that just uh, speaks to the failures we'll, we'll get to in a bit of, of, of Paul, Bridges, and Aiden within the offense. But to rattle out one more thing on the rotations and just the, the changes, it's pretty clear to me, and, and and David, our Australian correspondent, tweeted this the other night during the Knicks game. We were both in the same line of thinking, but just in a different way. He went more philosophical, just how Monty Williams always wants to match for size, the fear of getting out-rebounded, playing Dario in these moments, playing Jock and DeAndre together in some of these moments to give them some fights and physicality, whatever it is exactly that he's looking for beyond rebounding, it just murders their offense. It just really does. And it's not just on those guys individually. It's just more of the flow that they're in. And it's pretty clear that from a rhythm standpoint of getting offense to defense, defense to offense, that whole cycle that they're so... that uh They are... So, uh, th- they are to a flaw and in a flawed way, they rely too much on that cycle. So when they don't get stops, their offense clogs up. And then when they're running off of misses too much, their defense, but like it's, it's been something they've been too relying on for a long time, but we've never seen it bite them the way it has this year. All, that whole cycle works the best when Damian Lee and Josh Akogi are in the ball game and they just need to be playing legitimate minutes now, at, at least until Devin Booker returns, because we've seen from rim pressure, defense, like showing fight those two guys have been amongst the top on the team top guys top guys on the team and i'm at the point kevin when devin booker is not healthy i don't really care who they are taking minutes from at this point i'm including everyone in that discussion i'm including mikhail deandre chris um campaign laner shaman everyone like i just campaign deserves a bit of a break in this discussion because he's been out for most of these games But from a rotation perspective, it just doesn't feel like there's been severe enough changes for something where this team clearly needs a a severe shakeup. And if it's not going to come from a trade in the next week or two, then it needs to come through their rotation, I think.
1: Yeah. To to stay on the Monty and where his role in all this is, I will cite my Darius Garland rule where, yes, there's a reason you trust coaches. There's a reason he got this team to the NBA finals because he, kept everything consistent and when you go back at the heart of this team's identity it's what we go to work we're in the lab we enjoy the process of doing things in the now in the moment and getting better and and that's good for a team that has wins but when you have a month of terrible losses piling up like this to me when you don't see like abrupt change and I don't I don't even know if abrupt's the right word but like action right like there's no very obvious action where mine's like, all right, we need to do something different. We need to change a routine. Um, at this point in the season, a lot of times you'll see the headline of Suns have, what, uh, closed-door players-only meeting, and we don't know what that means, but it's like a signal of, oh, they're taking this seriously. They're going to try to do something different. They're Did you see
0: the um, – sorry to cut you off. Did you yeah. see the DeAndre quote? Which one? uh he said we said what we needed to say without a team meeting no extra gathering we said it right here and with the coaches in it next game everybody knows what the task is and everybody should know their damn assignment and know their damn role deandre and after the loss to the knicks that's to Dwayne okay. rankin so it sounds like Dwayne asked about like if they've had like discussions and it mm-hmm. sounds like their latest edition of that discussion was uh, was after the knicks loss so no players only meaning yet in terms of the uh the the tire fire series of events we see for most NBA teams in this position, no players only meeting yet, but the coaches were in the players only meeting. It sounds
1: like I'm not really sure. Yeah. And that's a good example of they're they're acting like they're not going to panic, which to some degree you're like, okay, we respect it. But at the other end of things, it's like this needs, this team needs a shock in some sort. And whether that's rotation, whether that's Monty going to DA and being like, Hey man, like, you haven't been playing great at all lately. We need to hash things out. Um, like, even the Cardinals were playing terribly, and we saw the report of the head coach and the quarterback not being in great spot together, like, trying to hash things out. And, and it's just – that's why the off offseason thing with DA was concerning at the time and remains concerning in my head because – he, he acts like these issues that seem very obvious when the player seems upset at media day that he didn't wasn't spoken to by the coach after resigning. Like, if you act like things aren't a problem, then the problems fester and they don't get fixed is where I'm going with this. And from a basketball standpoint, all the way down to like the vibes of this team, it just doesn't feel like anything's being done. You mentioned Dwayne Washington taking a lot of shots, but also you look at his minutes, like he played 12 against the Knicks. Why does he play 12 against the Knicks 13 against the Raptors? Then that was the closer game. Um, Yeah. Him not playing in the first half of that game was nuts. And, and like we go down the line, I can keep doing it, but his minutes have kind of increased, but not really. And he's the only guy who looks like he cares about, I'm going to take an open shot. I feel good about it. And like, Mikel not taking a shot until late in that first half the other game. And, and like, Tom Chambers is, like, talking about it after that whole game, and, like, that's not acceptable for one of your three best players, what should be two best players in the moment right now, um, or best player, however you see him, like, taking a shot that late in the first half when you need him to do something. And it it just doesn't make sense. And that's not even on Mikel. That's on Monty to... Tell Mikel, like, hey, we need you here. are A bunch of plays are running everything through, like things like that. And I just don't see action toward trying to fix anything. I guess. Yeah, Okogie played four
0: minutes in that game uh, against the Knicks. And to me, uh, the last thing I'll say on short-term stuff and looking at rotations and all that kind of stuff, um, I don't. Th- I think we're at the point now where Tory Craig's Tory Craig's ship has sailed in terms of uh, his starting spot. I, I don't think he's been good this year. I don't really know what it is exactly defensively that is that is um, throwing him off. It, it might just be one of those situations where he's stuck in the blender of the way they're playing defensively right now. It's affecting him. But I also thought even six, eight weeks ago, I thought I saw him just not defending the, at the level that we've seen from him. Now, his, his numbers this year have, have been good. Of course, the, the three-point percentage is the one everyone wants to point at, and rightfully so. He's shooting 39% from three on three and a half attempts per game that is well on its way to becoming a career high number for him. He's doing more off the bounce. He's averaging a career high in assists per game, but I I just haven't seen it from him defensively specifically. And then again, with the offensive flow again, it just feels like he's out there to be the spot up guy and everyone's playing off of him and it just clogs up the lane so much. And like playing Damian Lee or playing Josh Akogi, someone who's going to do something with that space more consistently, I think makes more sense. And then again, defensively, like I just haven't seen the benefits rebounding. I get it, but i i just haven't seen it and i'm it's at that point now where i think that level of like shakeup is is there and you look up and down the starting lineup and ask where they can make that kind of change beyond the spot where booker is which they put almost everyone in at this point they started jock landell i believe a couple of games ago in that spot um I, i think that's the other one that they could look to change and and maybe they will uh here in the future, is there anything else like kind of short term window you want to look at before going more long term and big
1: picture? No, I'm. Let's just move on. Let's just move on. It's it's been ugly basketball, which I I won't say it's like 2019 ugly basketball, but it's been pretty ugly basketball. It's reminiscent,
0: which is, which yeah. is the the, the problem uh, because yeah. those teams were terrible and were kind of supposed to be terrible. Uh, these teams were were not supposed to be terrible at all so to go big picture kevin and some of this ties into the short term as well but this factors into the long term and talking about trades over the next month and so and and so on to go back to sort of the flimsy foundation and a, a thread that i mentioned a couple of weeks ago again from our australian correspondent david he he went on a longer thing of just how delicate this specific type of uh team building philosophy is and essentially it was it it was a perfectly fit together team that nearly won a championship and then won sixty four games in the regular season. Next year, two all star guards, a lot of perfect complementary role players alongside them, and those complementary role players being younger players who were going to improve. Like that is the short sort of synopsis version of it. There's a lot of in depth things to their team building philosophy beyond that, but that was sort of the sort of the thing and finding like these right types of players finding their types of guys who play a certain way and, and, and looking less at, I, I, it was funny, Kevin, we've already always talked about the, what is a James Jones guy and how he like, uh, how it varies sometimes between one guy who has one defined, not a guy with one defined skill, looking at more just complete overall basketball players. And one overlying thing in this, Kevin has been, uh, they are not about guys who are offense only. They are not about guys who are going out there only to look for their shot. You can hear it in James Jones and Monty Williams voice when they talk about Dwayne Washington Jr. How <laughs> It's like he's not exactly their cup of tea. And yes, he's going to take, uh, some shots that are ill advised at times, but that's kind of what they need. And, and they, and, and they don't say it like that specifically. They say it more so like that's what, that's how Dwayne is. And we need someone to be confident. Um, but all of this is to say the foundation has started to crack significantly uh, with Chris Paul's decline this year. I am, again, uh, like I wrote, I wrote after the Knicks game on more short-term stuff. I wrote uh, after Devin Booker's injury last week on more long-term stuff. And what I wrote in there is I'm not willing to completely write off Chris Paul being an all-star caliber point guard at this time. But right now, I'm willing to say that he's not. And I'm, I'm ready to be proved wrong but he is not an all-star caliber point guard. I don't think he's a top 10 point guard in the league right now. I would venture on kind of wondering if he's top 15. Now for people going on uh, a crusade here about him specifically and saying he's not even a net positive. He should be coming off the bench. Like that that's ludicrous. He is still a winning player right now at this stage of his career. And at this stage of his contributions, just with what he does from a game management perspective and the fact that his shooting numbers, have stabilized a bit and gotten back around to where we expected them to be. And just what he does again, game management, putting pressure on the defense when he does setting up guys, uh, finding guys shots when they need shots, that kind of thing. Like he's going to be in that positive on the court until he calls it, he calls it quits, but he is no longer an all-star caliber. He's not no longer a top 10 point guard. Kevin, he is no longer an all-star caliber point guard. He's no longer an all NBA caliber point guard. He is no longer a number two, a great number two on a title contender or a title winning team, Kevin, he is no longer that guy. And what has essentially happened from here on out has been, okay, okay, so maybe it's not Chris every night as the number two. Maybe some nights it's Mikel. Maybe some nights it's DeAndre. Maybe sometimes it's Cam Johnson or campaign. Maybe some nights it's Lander Schammett, whatever you want to say there. That elevation, specifically as we have seen over the last month, is not something that DeAndre and Mikel Bridges or this team was ready for I mentioned the shots per game or the last four games DeAndre should be taking 20 shots a game right now he just should be and if that number seems too high or too outrageous look at what else this team has offensively right now they should just yeah. be completely reinventing their offense for the next month around giving him the ball and what has happened Kevin is part of that effort has been DeAndre if you catch it within 14 feet or 18 feet, 14 to 18 feet, and you have space for the jumper, just take the jumper. I believe the number that I found is that he had taken 25 shots between 15 to 19 feet coming into the Christmas game. And then in the last four games, he had taken a dozen. That was entering the Knicks game, and I believe he took two or three more of them in the dozen in the Knicks game. So that has been part of it. But outside of that, they have been unable to consistently involve him in the offense. And again, we're not going to dive into this or even discuss it. It is some of it is on money some of it is on DeAndre you can decide where you want the blame to be 50 50 60 40 80 20 95 5 100 0 whatever we're not going to do that but it is just a core problem of the team with, with him specifically but also Mikel Bridges they've been involving him more in the offense and he just has not been able to find a consistent volume to be okay if DeAndre is going to be the number two then Mikel the thing is if Mikel's not the number three some nights Kevin uh, a couple of uh, months ago that was fine now he has to be at least the number three guy every single night. He cannot be the guy who doesn't take a shot until the late first half. like he can't be that anymore or this team loses the game. They just do and he is he is not capable of that this year he's just he's just not and and that's where we're at in terms of the the now and now it just makes you think in terms of long term picture, how you evaluate those two guys and Chris specifically within the grand picture of this team because if they were betting on in the next three to four years, having DeAndre really evolve into the clear number two next to Booker, or if they were looking at it being a combination of DeAndre and Mikel, we have seen the limitations of that right now. And I do feel unfair in kind of treating it as a complete evaluation right now, because it's not with all the injuries and everything in terms of crossing them off of that list and saying, that's not a possibility. But if you had to pick one or the other right now, Kevin, like, are they capable of that or are they not? When we're talking two or three years in the future, you would probably say like, no, you need to go get a second star to put next to Devin Booker, because I don't think it can be those two guys plus Cam Johnson doing it on a committee and then having Devin Booker do absolutely everything. I don't think that's the that's the clear cut philosophy and picture of this team over the next three to five years. And then you combine the short term and long term to pass it to you, Kevin, and you wonder if they trade for a top 30 player in the league at the deadline, does that still make them does that make them the favorites in the West? I think it depends on who it is, of course, but you start to wonder if they make a big needle moving move in the next 4 weeks how much it will actually matter
1: to this season compared to the next couple. So, that's where I land on this trade deadline looks like It's going to be a dud right now. We're we're a month away and crazy things can happen quickly in this league. But I I think it's not crazy to say this team just stands pat and doesn't do anything. And people are going to, again, say, we should fire James Jones. Robert Sarver is holding things back. He must be not letting trades go through. Because today, Brian Windhorst put out that basically any Jay Crowder trade or above level deal has to go through Sarver's office based on the rules that even though he's suspended, he still has to sign off on that. My whole thing is like, unless there's an obvious player that's a superstar level that you can place next to Devin Booker, you don't want to like get rid of draft picks to try to make this hit teams better this year. You don't want to trade even Deandre Aiden if he's pissed off or whatever. Um, just to get rid of him and, and move on. I think like the next move for this team has to be what star player are we putting next to Devin Booker? And then how do we get him and how do we try to keep one, probably two of Mikel Cam, Aiden, Chris Paul next to him and next to a new star? Because to me, like I I made this list In my head, Devin Booker's untradeable, right? You don't trade that dude. Mikkel, Cam, Aiton, Chris Paul, they're all on the same level to me. And if you get rid of two to get a star next to Devin Booker, I think you do it. I don't know what order that is. It depends who that player is. So the fit's right and all that good stuff. But I think everything is on the table from that respect. And to me, that's why, like, look, LeBron James went and said, whatever he said like a week ago about how he knows he's older and he wants to be on a winning team and all that. And I have zero clue whether that's like, I want to leave the Lakers. I want the Lakers to do something with the trade deadline. Um, But like if he, this summer is like, Hey, this isn't working here. Do you go get him? I don't know. But that's, that's like the stuff you hope for. And that's the stuff that I think will actually move the needle, not going to get Kyle Kuzma to make this team better.
0: I would characterize it or or phrase it as a light reset. It feels like that's what they need. Now, the shakeup line that I used about the rotation, I think is the same thing you can say about the roster. To me, when I look at it and I think about team building and all this kind of stuff, how this is the easiest to do, it seems like you should just try and keep the two wings that everyone would want in the world right now and that are the hardest to find right now, you obviously keep Booker and then you just figure it out from there Yeah, just from a positional scarcity point. And that's not to say I think some people will be more high end in their argument and people were even rolling their eyes at Kevon Looney doing what he did last night Um, with the <laughs> same day that DeAndre had the type of day that he had. I'm not going to be the person to say here that you get replacement value center and it's the same thing as DeAndre or anything like that. I'm never going to be that type of person. But at the same time, it is much easier to do that at that position. And those are the sort of team building philosophies that everyone kind of got into a couple of years ago that I wasn't really willing to consider that much or specifically in the last 18 months when his contract came up and stuff. Those were the sort of uh, philosophical arguments that came up in terms of team building and how you do that kind of thing. Um I didn't really buy into that noise then uh but I do a lot more now with 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 what it seems like they they need to have happen the Chris element of this is the most fascinating part of this and what I wrote about um in that long-term picture because his contract is partially guaranteed next year 15 of the 30 million is partially guaranteed at this point Kevin Unless they shed a whole lot of salary, all getting all like getting him off that fifteen million would do, uh, meaning like let him go would just be tax relief. That's all it would be. Yeah, um, that would not suit this team very well, in my opinion. Uh, they they need to maximize their assets right now in a big time way, uh, and that's where I wonder if if they if they consider trading him. And I don't. I do not. I wrote it in there. I don't think they should trade him right now. I don't think they should consider trading him right now. I know that's a hot take, but I don't think they should. Um, but I, I opened Pandora's box essentially and wondered does the thought process start to come over them in the summer, um, about letting him go? Because then the deal becomes non guaranteed the last year after that. And that's when I wonder where, uh, where exactly it goes for him, uh, from there, because it's, it's, There are ways in which this works, Kevin, where Chris is playing at this level and he's able to ease himself into it a bit more and this new role and one of DeAndre or Mikel made a big jump as a young player on a new fresh contract that did not happen and he did not get the ability to sort of come like it wasn't a comfy transition into this into this sort of phase of his career, I guess I'll say Uh, again citing that I'm ready to be proven wrong but for now as the first real decline comes for him in in this stage of his career uh he has not been given the ability to sort of comfortably establish where he's at right now because the team needs so much out of him every single night as it, as they should as should be expected of him every night we should mention the Sarver story uh ESPN's Brian Windhorst reported that Sarver has to have uh has to give his approval on most Suns trades, and I think the way that this was uh, broken down by Windhorse was using some of Dwayne Rankin's quotes from Sam Garvin, and just Garvin uses like ludicrous example of like trading for three max players, and didn't really offer like the middle ground of where something more realistic would be. And Windhorse reporting pretty much backed up that yeah, anything for the average salary or above, which is around ten million dollars the league he would have to approve now the story did not include any reporting that a trade has has arrived at sarver's desk and he's rejected it like that is a very specific part of the reporting that, w- that was not included in there and that to me is where i wonder exactly how much this is a factor because if no jay crowder trade happens kevin are they going to buy him out and, and cost themselves more money or is jay crowder is not going to play the entire year wouldn't they have known this was going to be a thing when the Jay Crowder thing happened three months ago, four months ago?
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, is he really that spiteful and is he going to ruin James Jones's year and his job, a guy he worked close with and by all accounts had a good relationship with? I mean, I don't think he's going to do things purposely to hurt the franchise And I would assume, honestly, that he would just sign off on anything that James Jones wants to do based on their prior relationship. I could be completely wrong on that. But I guess Wind Horse's story is more bringing up that it's complicated. And, yeah, I think you pointed out that's the important part is we don't know what's been denied. I will say that, look, this team is kind of – James Jones always points to the Miami Heat just because he was there, just because I'm sure he thinks Pat Riley's uh, a model dude of how to run a franchise. But I think you can look at that team. Like there are some years where it looks like the Miami Heat just are spending lots of money and not doing like championship level things, but they keep their coach. Um, They push through it and they just sit there until an opportunity arises. And then it's, you know, Jimmy Butler is on their team suddenly and they're chasing a title in the bubble or whatever. Um, And they're back to, you know, they're a pretty good team, but are they going to be challenging for a title this year? I don't think so. But again, they don't do panic moves. And I think that's where this is going to get mixed up is people are going to have to blame James Jones or blame Robert Sarver at this point when nothing happens at this trade deadline. And to me, again, it's it's opportunity, man. It's it's we don't want to tank our opportunities that there could be really good ones this summer um, just to try to be reasonably good this year. And honestly, that's where we get into, <laughs> like, the people are going to be pissed that this team is trying to hang on to a playing spot at some point. If, <laughs> when they could have a
0: 2% chance at one Benyama, yeah. Yeah, but, like... I don't know. I I think that's... I think there's merit to both discussions. I think that they are designed to win, so they have to try and win, but at the same time, I I understand why people are like, this team could really use the influx of young talent of a top-14 pick. Like, I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Go ahead. I think one more thing is that we have now, if this trend continues, not at this uh, dramatic degree... But if this trend continues and they are going to be somewhere between the five and nine seed uh, this year, five and ten seed, however the West unfolds, to be clear right now, they are tied for eighth. They are four and a half games out of first. Uh, They are within a half game of the Kings and Clippers at five and six. They are within two games of the Mavericks at the fourth spot. And the Minnesota Timberwolves are three games out uh, from them in 11th. Utah is at 10 and they are a game and a half uh, behind the Suns. So there's a lot to be figured out there as we've been updating on the podcast. But if you land in that position, like I was saying where you're like five to nine seed and this doesn't really improve uh, in a dramatic way because it has been so negative in a dramatic way. I think we're all of a sudden back in like doing having Devin Booker very involved in this process and making sure you don't piss him off. So look, if he wants to keep playing with Chris Paul and it would Enrage him if they deal Chris Paul, that has to be factored in considerably, yeah, because he is he is the guy like he he is he has gone beyond we called him the face of the franchise five years ago, but he is legitimately the face of the franchise, one of the greatest players in franchise history if he plays out the rest of this contract, I think he will be known uh in Phoenix, he will be known as the best player to ever put on a son's jersey ever, uh just like the greatest son ever I think is the best way to uh to label that and what he thinks about everything matters and I think he better than just about anyone else uh, he knows better than anyone from the outside I should phrase it as knows what's wrong with this team and what needs to be pushed sort of in the right direction so just one more long term question because I think you were you were going with it so let's say Kevin that they have that huge move on on the table where one or two of those four guys you mentioned, DeAndre, Chris, Cam, and Mikel, are involved in a deal, gets a huge name coming back to Phoenix, and they have it on the table in February. Do you think they should pull the trigger on it, or do you think they should wait?
1: Uh, I guess I'll ask... Like, is it a player who is an all-star and would be immediately the number two dude, or if not the number one? Yes. Top 30 player in the league. That's how I'll phrase it. Yeah.
0: Do it. Yeah. I I think you have to as well. Yeah. I I do think you do. And this is not the Kyle Kuzma argument to be clear. This is more of the Pascal Siakam uh, arguments. And I'm not sure really who else you can think of. If you're like looking at the top 30 players in the league and, the players you are unable to cross off because you think they could be on the move. I mean, uh, let me, let me get, let me get weird. You, you ready for me yeah. to get weird? Yeah. I've been looking at this and I've been trying to like, look at top players in the league and seeing who could be available. Um, would you do a deal involving Chris to get to De Rosen in February? Would
1: you do that? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. That's the
0: type of weirdness that I'm trying to figure out. To be clear, DeMar DeRozan is on the second to last year of his deal. He is he would be an unrestricted Frasian in 2024. That is the same situation that Pascal Siakam is in. Uh, yeah, I'm starting to wonder if something that seismic would, would make sense. And the reason why I, why I include Chris in the hypothetical deal is because from a ball handler perspective, there would be too many cooks in the kitchen for those three guys to be on the court at the same time. Um. So
1: yeah, or, or any, like, man, you would want. Da is the interesting one because, I don't know if there's a team who you could trade da for like one player like a one for one, where they would go for it at this point. But like if like Atlanta's seventeen and twenty, if you got want to get weird and shift how your roster works and go get John Collins for da because there's. There's just something toxic there, and you trade a big for a smaller big, and you ch- kind of change how your roster is. Yeah. Do you do that, or do you trade DA for like Ananobi in Toronto, where, yeah, maybe Ananobi's not even, well, he's a pretty good player. You can argue with me about whether that trade would actually make sense for the Raptors, but. I, I think that kind of level of trade, too, can also kind of reset things. And, yeah, I'm picking on DA because I'm assuming there's some weird stuff going on. Um, you mean his I, his best friend and the guy who is, like, the light of every room he enters
0: yelling at him on the court wasn't an indicative sign for you? Right.
1: And his coach in Game 7, but that wasn't a big deal, I've heard. So, yeah, I mean, that that kind of move where it's like, okay, maybe not an all-star, all-star, but it's like some – very stable starter and you just kind of shock the system enough and roll with what you got still, like that's not going to move the needle a ton. But if you think like this just can't go on with that guy for that some reason, then those are things that are on my head too. Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago have guys that are from very good – Starters to you know all star level like Derozan.
0: I'm glad you brought up uh, Collins. That's kind of what I was searching for because I was about to shout out like Trey Young and just trading everything for Trey Young, <laughs> and that's a bit too crazy. And I think the Demar one is really crazy too, and and out of uh, out of place. But John Collins is more of the range that I was looking for, where you give up one or two, at least one or two of those guys, for a thing that really shakes up your roster right now. But then going forward doesn't change the long term view too much. And what I mean by that is like, you still need the second star. Yeah. That, that is where you go with like the Washington thing specifically. And that is where I talk about Kuzma, where you trade Kuzma with the intent to re sign him, but you, you trade for Kuzma more in like the, we need to shake things up. We need a long term change, not a, we need to contend right now and make a move to win right now. I think that is the the way that I can uh, paint it the best and kind of where I'm at with the team right now. I I think that it's more about the long-term and I'm, I'm just starting to think that the, I, the way that I wrote it at the end was, does this front office still believe that the title window of a Chris Paul team is still open or do they believe that it's closed? I'm just about at the point where I think that it's closed. Um, And it would just depend on specifics of a deal and where it would be in place necessarily. But we're going to find out because if they don't make like a huge land shifting move in the next six weeks, that really moves the needle. I believe that that indicates that they think that that window is closed and they're thinking more long-term.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you
0: think think one answer
1: is more right than the other before we go? No, because we don't know what's on the table, but I think that's a really good way to kind of summarize everything we just talked about is like inaction at this trade deadline doesn't honestly it means more that they're ready to shift something drastically and they're waiting for the right opportunity um than like a, a smaller move. Um that would cause I would be surprised if they did a Kuzma move now. Like that would surprise me. That's that's where I'm at, I think.
0: The Jay Crowder and Landry Shamit and one unprotected first-round pick, one slightly protected first-round pick for Kyle Kuzma, that that would surprise you?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you somehow got him for just not the pick and the two other guys, and some team takes a deal like that for sure, but I don't think that's going to happen. There's no reason for that to happen. And, yeah, I just think there's not a reason to be a buyer in terms of assets. Like, I think they have to trade Jay Crowder just to get something, um, and you maybe make this team a little better, and, and that doesn't count in this discussion, but yeah, I'd be surprised if they gave up, you know, important assets just to make a kind of minor improvement,
0: yeah. Uh, so again, to conclude, I hope that wasn't as miserable to get through for Suns fans as I think it might have been. Uh, at least for those of you who have not been, there are some people who will listen to this and think that was an overdue conversation for us to have because I know a lot of people. For the last month, six weeks have, have felt this kind of way where it's, it's time to move on. There are people, Kevin, putting up pictures of the 34 win Kelly Ubre, Ricky Rubio sound and me like, Oh, I missed this squad. <laughs> like, that, that is the level to which it's getting to. I understand why that team was fun to watch and all that yeah. kind of stuff, but my goodness, this team won 64 games last year, was killing everyone. And then they made a run to the finals. Like, it was just, okay uh anyway that's just my two cents on it as the neutral observer here yeah Uh, so again this was we are to be clear we are not going to hit on as many of these defining points maybe the week of the trade deadline if nothing has happened but this sort of part of the conversation that i think everyone is going to continue having about this team for the next month we're kind of we did it all today and we're gonna for the most part not dance around it but just not really hit on it as much in the next month because nothing's probably gonna change that much if it does change we'll be here to talk about it of course but this is their schedule coming up kevin they've got cleveland two out of the next three games cleveland is 24 and 14 they're 7 and 3 in their last 10 games they've got the miami heat sandwiched uh, by cleveland in that matchup miami's 20 and 18 they are 7 and 3 in their last 10 then they've got the golden state warriors who have won 5 games in a row they're 20 and 18 denver after that is 7 and 3 in their last 10 they are 24 and 13 and then they've got minnesota which is the real break here in minnesota is 17 and 21. They're four and six in their last ten. And then they've got Memphis 23 and 13. They've won three in a row. They're six and four in their last 10. And then Brooklyn is maybe the hottest team. It is not. Maybe it is the hottest team in the league. They won 12 in a row. They're 25 and 12. Of course, that is 10 to no in their last 10. And then even after that, Kevin, you roll your eyes at the Indiana Pacers, who are seven and three in their last ten, sixth in the Eastern Conference. They are twenty-one and seventeen. Look at our boy Benny Matherin; he's just doing us so proud over there. Uh, just great him and vote trade
1: for one of those guards. I don't know
0: <laughs> him and Tyrese Albert. And Then you've got Memphis again, and then Charlotte, who is ten and twenty-eight. Uh, and then, by the way, that Charlotte game I wanted to mention because that I believe is the fifteenth game that Booker will miss after the Denver game, and that is where like the four-week timeline on his. Return And so uh, we should mention this uh, before we go. I forgot to bring it up because I I just mentioned injury stuff. Dwayne ranking talked to Monty Williams and Monty said Cam is not doing anything contact still. He's doing individual drills and all that stuff, but he's not doing anything involving contact right now. It seems like he's pretty mobile right now, but in terms of that uh, coming to contact, it has not happened yet. Uh, You can read into that how much as you will. Does that mean he's going to miss another week, another two weeks, another three weeks? I don't know. But today, the day we're recording this on Tuesday is the two months it has been since Brian Windhorst reported the one to two month timeline on his return. So it looks like it's going to take a little bit longer than him than expected. Doesn't mean anything's wrong or anything like that. Some guys just take longer and and that's him. But yeah, Kevin, we're going to get into the meat of these games a bit more. But uh we had to have this talk now because it, from a schedule perspective, it's, it's brutal for the next th- uh, three weeks. It's really tough. Buckle up, kids! Buckle up, indeed, pal. All right, uh, everyone. We hope you had a great Christmas, New Year's. We hope that you are starting off twenty twenty three in the right direction. We aired all our grievances here to start the new year, and then we'll get into the meat of some basketball. Hopefully, some more watchable basketball, Kevin. Because man, unless you want to talk about some Coloco corner threes, we don't we don't get we don't got much here for you. All right, everyone, we'll be back next week. See ya.